Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Wow, can you believe it? It is Wednesday, July 7th, and Morning Combat is not merely live. We are in Las Vegas. Hello, everyone. Live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar at the Park MGM. My name is Luke Thomas, but I'm only one half of the hosting duo. Royalty on that side of the table. The king of Connecticut is here as well. It's Brian Campbell. You know, I may be the king of Connecticut, Luke, but sometimes in life, right, you just sit down in a chair and you know that you belong. I know, yeah. you know, court for you. Yes. More, more the likely back of there, the police but, car is how I felt. Uh, but, you know, so pumped up to be here for all things UFC 64. Poirier, McGregor 3, Saturday night, of course, just outside that door at T-Mobile Arena. But how about the staff here at the MGM putting us up in a fantastic setup? I know it's early here on a Wednesday. We do have some stragglers, some night crawlers that are here watching our show live. Zombies. Some potential predators. We'll have to vet them uh, one by one. But Friday, Luke, it is 11 a.m. Pacific time right here our live Friday show post weigh-in. It could get a little wild. Yeah, we're going to be at the morning official weigh-ins, and then we're going to come right here. We're going to do a live 11 a.m. here. When I say 11 a.m., I mean West Coast time. So if you're in the Las Vegas area, be here at 11 a.m., and we're going to have a wild and uh, probably fireball offensive show. Yeah, uh, we'll making. have the wheel of death. We'll probably be our last show ever, but uh, hopefully the, the security staff is well armed. That's but we should say a couple things. One, yeah. thank you to CBS Sports for this opportunity. This desk is unbelievable. This setup, BC. It's crazy. Like, I'm a little bit pinch myself moment with this. I mean, Showtime's taking good care of us, but CBS Sports here bringing us out to this, this excuse me, this uh, McGregor fight. It's a big deal for MK. Yeah, big time. We're on we're our way, and we're making it. So please like the video, subscribe, all that stuff, because we talked in the past, and I'm only going to sell this to you for about 10 more seconds, about that MK rocket ship taking off. You support us. We will support you on the ground at the biggest fights, doing end-to-end -end coverage. We are fired up to be here. So, Luke, buy our merch, all that crap. It may be time right now to get into all things UFC 264. Yeah, it really will be. So let's uh, let's do this. Friday's show is going to be a little bit off the rails, but today let's dig into UFC 264. BC, I'll start with topic number one, which is I want to go back and revisit a little bit the second fight. So Mike Bond of MMA Junkie had a stat this morning, a very simple stat. It was something I had noticed, but he actually went through and added it up. If you look at UFC, I believe it's UFC trilogies, in the case where the second fighter won, Nine, uh, nine out of the next 12 times, they won the entire thing. So the person who wins the trilogy in the second, or I should say, the person who wins the, the rematch typically wins the entire thing. Because in theory, they have fixed the wrong from the first fight, figured it out in fight two, and then sometimes fight three is a little gratuitous. You can ask yourself, is there any gratuitous nature to this third fight happening? Right, well, right also, now? There's, keep in mind, usually when you have a rematch, if it's not under controversy, there's going to be a lot of time that expires between them. Yeah. There was no controversy really about the first fight, so six years had elapsed before they got back in there. So it's not really that one guy corrected the errors. They kind of became different fighters. Now, we're going to talk about what, what we're expecting in the third fight, but I do think it's important, given those considerations, to review the second fight for just a second. BC, we've gone back and we've watched it. As we look forward to Saturday, looking back, what did you learn about the second fight? What do you remember most? You know, I'm really focusing a lot on McGregor's energy here. And, it, and, I, and I, want, I don't want to stay exclusive on the second fight. In some ways, I want to bring in that first fight from back in 2014. We all know that they were different fighters, but particularly McGregor, it's just a different energy. I know it's 145 pounds. I know it's just a different time and place. But Luke, as we say on this show, the BDE, McGregor was swimming in that in the first fight. In the second fight, I didn't 
see that at all. And you saw, obviously, a much more jovial, brotherly, respectful build to that second fight. And I do believe, and I know sometimes people will say I overvalue stuff like this, I do believe that spilled into what we saw the fight. For a round and a half, that's how far that fight lasted in January, their second meeting. McGregor, I would say Luke, looked good at times. But he never looked very good, and he didn't carry that same energy that I'm coming in there on a mission to do one thing, and that's knock you out. I liked his combination punching. I liked a lot of that. But I still feel like he brought a one-note style into a matchup against maybe the most battle-tested, well-rounded fighter this division has produced in years. And when that one note, meaning the ability to walk you down and find your chin, got taken away with the calf strikes where he was immobilized, the fight was over, Luke. The fight was over like that. So I still think that we are in the midst of this debate for McGregor entering this third fight. Will he lose his elite status? Will he forever be a celebrity fighter if he loses? We got to find out in just a six-month turnaround whether he can add the adaptations, folks, adaptations to his game that were simply not there in the second fight, and he's going to need to beat this generation of elite lightweights. Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, when I went back and I reviewed it ahead of today's show, a few things stood out to me. One was... This changed a little bit in the second round, but in the first round, he was just allowing Poirier to tee off first. He was Just look at how often Poirier was able to, to just be the guy who initiated offense, who dictated not so much the entirety of the exchange, but when it happened and on who was really getting out there first. That, 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 that caught my attention. Also with McGregor, he seemed to be just stuck in first or second gear, BC. He never seemed to be able to, to get warm. I don't know if he had a bad prep. I don't mean when I say the bad prep, I mean the camp itself, but maybe like did he get right ahead of time in the locker room? I don't know. Like, he looked a little flat to get out. By the second round, he got a little bit more active. But by the second round, BC, as you know, some of the damage had been done. By, by the way, everyone focuses on those leg kicks. The right-hand counters of Dustin were really yes. the one that actually set it off, although they both worked Dustin had a tandem. stiff jab as well. Totally. His timing was much better the second time around. So this is why the second fight is important, BC. Two things to consider. One. McGregor is taking a fight in mixed martial arts for the first time in years where there's not a year between them. Usually it's been two years, a year. Now we're having about six months. That's new. The question you have to ask yourself is, is some of the things that Dustin Poirier did the second time going to be there the third time? Let me give you an example. The first round takedown. Think about how hard he fought off that takedown from Habib. Now, that was a more traditional style takedown. Poirier set it up from that stance switch that he does where he closes distance. And he got it with ease. And he got it with ease with a trip. Are you going to really be able to get that the second time, or, or I should say the third time, but the second time trying it against McGregor? I'm a little bit skeptical of that. I think, I think Poirier, can, could he get the takedown? Yes, I am convinced of that. Could he get that takedown? Maybe not so much. And some of those stance switch feints that he was doing, it was really throwing McGregor off. I think a lot of that's going to be gone away. The question for McGregor is, does he still have... The chutzpah. Yes, the Say grit. The, 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 there's a certain amount of, like, F you to it all so that wanna, was just utterly gone in the And I want to stay right there around that. And I want to bring back in the first fight from 2014 again. Luke, when I say he came out where there with the BDE, I mean, you know, you got the cornrows pulled back into a braid with the side shaved head. It's a terrible haircut. Uh, it, it was, but it, it says something. What he brought out, and this is, uh, you know, it was fluent in many of the early McGregor UFC fights, the threat of some wild shit, the spinny stuff, the, the craziness, that threat was completely gone in the second fight. So it's not just McGregor didn't come out with that FU attitude. There was no threat of something different. I know he tried that one spinning wheel kick that got blocked high, never again in the early in the second fight. He did also catch... 
uh, Poirier's kick and then walk him back to the fence. I thought he was going to try something there, but he didn't. I'm not saying McGregor's got to come out in the third fight with a threat of taking people down himself. I've got to say there's got to be a different note than just I'm going to walk you down, hold up that left hand like I'm the opposite of like old school Dan Hendo with the with the H bomb. Yeah. Where you know that's what he's bringing dude, at I've, the end I, of I his like, career. The Look, H I got to see a different setup. I got to see more of a jab. Sure. I like his combination well, dude, punching, but there's got to be a different threat beyond that one note. People can shut that one note down at this level. This ain't 145 anymore, Connor. Well, I like the I like the H bomb comparison for a lot of reasons. Dan Henderson had what would you call it? Pretty limited, basic-ish kind of stand-up, but there was so much respect for the right hand. Much better strikers still had to be extremely cautious and reverential, frankly, of that right hand. Dude, Dustin Poirier was not reverential of Connor in the second fight. He walked him down for the nearly the entirety of it. Connor, whatever choice he makes, spinny shit, jab, cross, whatever, whatever offensive weapon he has to pick, he's got to make Dustin go, whoa, wait a second. There was one moment about that, either I think it was late in the first or in the second. Poirier even admitted to me and to other people who asked him about it, he got a little bit rocked from one of Connor's punches. Yeah. Now, it didn't ultimately have an effect where it changed the fight, obviously, for but his you favor. You felt like Connor could have stepped in and finished it if he realized that, that angle, that lane, that he had him right there. I just want to say this. I, I thought. Poirier was going to win the first one, and I thought Connor was going to win the second one. 0 for 2 on this one, so I really don't know who's going to win the third. But I just want to be clear. I see a lot of discussion about all the things Connor did wrong, and is he still elite? And I think the question's about does he have the overall ability at this point, given all the time off and all the craziness, to match up with these guys? Don't know. But I also think people are losing sight of some of the weapons that Connor had that did have at least some impact in the second fight, and some of the things that Poirier did that were major in the second fight, I don't think are going to be relevant at all in the third. I want to. Ex I think that's very true, and I want to expand on something that you said right there about the H bomb comparison and about look, Connor is hard to talk about, especially now because he's so damn polarizing. Meaning, as Luke often says, his diehards believe he walks on water on the way to the cage and is always one perfect fight camp away from knocking out anyone. And then on the flip side, you get a lot of well, Connor's washed, and he was never that great to begin with, and it was just that one year where he put it all together and he rode momentum and the magic and all that stuff. Luke, Dan Hendo had the threat of that H-bomb even as an old man, even going for the title shot against Bisping, whether he deserved it or not. Does Connor above 145 have any legitimate threat that he can get you out of there against the truly elite with one punch? Yes. Or is what, we, is what the naysayers, the critics say true, that when he had the size and power advantage at 145, he was unbeatable, even though he still won big fights after that? 55 for the title against Eddie Alvarez, the rematch with Nate. Can you still walk around like I got the biggest weapon in the fight when at 155, essentially, especially against a, a battle-tested guy like Poirier, you may not. It, you may not have the biggest punch anymore in this fight. I, I would say this. Poirier has incredible one-punch power, but not like sleep him one-punch power. Like he doesn't have that kind of KO resume, although he does. Obviously, he has formidable power at that weight class. I think Connor does too, but he just wasn't in a position, whether his own fault or, again, you can't take away things with Dustin Poirier. Poirier did a lot to put Connor mentally on the back foot where he was reacting. But you're asking me, basically, what you're asking me is does Connor's power carry in a meaningful, impactful way at 155? I do believe that it does, BC. But the question is can he bring that to bear a third time against a guy who is massively improved? One thing we're not talking about, dude, that second fight, well, the, well, the first fight was what, 2014, right? Dude, like, when Connor made a lot of arguments about the state of strikers in the UFC, he called them stiff 
and he did all the movement training. Maybe some of that stuff with the touch button in the park was a little bit excessive. But that produced flow, the touch button in the park. It did. Which produces BDE, it's a process. We don't have either <laughs> of those anymore. No, I think it's something different to be said, BC. The level of striking in the UFC overall in 2014 isn't nearly what it, w it is now today. The overall ability has climbed dramatically in six or seven years. Well, why do I say that? Because I think some of the things he pointed out early put him ahead of the curve. Where I wonder, BC, is does he still have the talent to hang? Yes. Does he have the talent to excel past the pack? That's the part where I don't know. But people are like, oh, well, he doesn't have the magic anymore. Folks, the game got better. It's not, there is no magic. What there is is skills and talent and ability, and he had plenty of it, still does, but the rest of the pack also has a lot well, more now, Well, too. let me define what I believe that to that magic to actually mean. I think it's a non-scientific process, right? It's a little bit about believing in what you don't see, but it's a combination of unshakable next-level confidence, which Connor used to carry with him. I'm, I don't see it at the same level anymore, and it's a mixture of momentum, and momentum only comes through being active. And Luke, I'll said it before, I'll say it once more, I think that, that Connor was robbed through the pandemic and that battle he had with Dana White over the leaked DMs of having the kind of comeback that he originally wanted post-Cerrone fight. He wanted to fight four times in that calendar year of 2020 maybe even won a boxing match against Manny but but whatever on that Luke the quarantine pulled him out of that we found out later through the DMs that Connor wasn't really looking to challenge himself at the level we expect he was trying to get old Diego Sanchez and stuff but you get the point you build that magic through doing the the things that create it through momentum this is a quicker turnaround as you mentioned for Connor than any fight he's had post top rise of 2016, meaning he's only fought three times in the five years since, and normally it's a year to two years off in between. This six-month turnaround, will it keep him fresher? I think that's interesting to know, and I want to mix that, that thing in your brain with what Connor did well in the last time we saw him in a rematch. Nate Diaz, 2016-2002. Luke, he had to come out with something different than what he did in the first Nate fight to a degree. Yeah, he had to repair his stamina, which he didn't cut weight right for 196. But do you remember what Connor came out as a game plan with? Leg no kicks. Knowing that he wasn't at welterweight, the same level of puncher, there were leg kicks, there were uh, jabs to the body, a la almost Mayweather in a sense, and there was just more of a, a foundation of boxing. A lot, rather less, a lot less spinny shit too boxing rather than seek and destroy. Rather than hold that left hand out and just wait for the right moment, I think Connor realized as the smaller man in that fight that he had to bring more to the table. So there was a game plan, there was adjustments, there was boxing, there were calf kicks. These are things that have to be there in this third fight because Luke, Poirier may be better than him at every single category short of just like one punch finding your chin early in a fight. Yeah. And when you're on that kind of uphill battle, you've got to constantly adapt, evolve, bring those adaptations vocabulary heads into the game, Luke. One thing I want to discuss here as a, before we get into topic two very quickly, BC, is it is amazing to me, and I tweeted this last night. After their first fight, Poirier and McGregor went on dramatically different paths. Uh, certainly, Connor going on to incredible heights of winning the featherweight title and then the one with uh, at lightweight and then fighting Mayweather and uh, you know the, the whole nine yards, but then a precipitous kind of decline that has suffered since then. Poirier was the exact opposite. He changed weight classes. He slowly, incrementally got better. What I mean to say is they had, I, you know, yes, they had a sh shared history in 2014 by virtue of a fight, BC, but then they looked like they were both trying to just forget it and walk past it. Then they had the rematch, and now the rubber match. It is amazing to me that we spent six years of these guys' careers talking about how yeah, they were kind of just different places now, and now their fates are so profoundly intertwined with one another. This, this fight is kind of being presented as rivalry, and yes, it is rivalry. Make no mistake about it. These guys don't like each other. There's a lot to be said for that. 
But BC, you know as well as I do, Dustin Poirier has to an extent, and you can debate how much, tied the stakes of his legacy to this bout. Conversely, yeah. McGregor has done the exact same thing. This was something in 2015 or 2016 you would have never have pegged happening. I never would have guessed that uh, Poirier would choose the money and the, and the glory and the fame of a Conor third fight above the idea of going for the actual title. He should have been the one fighting for that vacant title when UFC finally recognized that Habib was retired. Dustin chose the money. We got Chandler Oliveira instead, the winner of this fight. Dana already confirmed this week will get uh, a title opportunity against Oliveira, and that makes sense. But to your point, yes, Dustin had made it more about this. And it's kind of apropos that Connor would be his sort of mountaintop search, not just for the money of it, although, look, that, that's at the end of the day, you get a rare chance to become in the 1% and make McGregor-like money. Poirier's having his moment right now, so let's give him that credit. But the last time he lost a fight, Luke, in which, except for the Michael Johnson debacle, which was an aberration, and except for the Habib fight, which you know what that was, he's 11-2 and two since the last time he fought, lost to Conor McGregor in 2014. So he's almost used Conor McGregor as the change in his career totally. in terms of getting out of the... Um, the emotional level of fighting where trash talk can affect him and all these great changes that we've talked about in his initial rise into the Habib fight. So it, it's sort of apropos that, you know, when you fight somebody on McGregor's level, you usually have to beat him twice anyway, right? So he's gonna, he's doing that, he's getting the money, Fair he's point. getting the fame. And I know that we're spending all this time talking about McGregor, we're not talking a lot about Poirier, but Luke, I think I got one more McGregor topic that's very interesting here. And it does have comparisons to the McGregor we saw ahead of the Nate Diaz rematch. Do you remember? the spring and summer of 2016, when Conor McGregor went to Iceland, when he wanted to get away from the distractions mm -hmm. and the fact that he had become this overlording piece of fame and, and energy that was distracting. So he went to Iceland. He famously refused to do the UFC 200 press conference back in, L in Las Vegas. There was a big public thing. He retired, the cheese, all that, Luke. He went back into hiding. And when he came out at 202, I mean, he was fired up. He was ready. Luke, the build to this trilogy fight has been completely different from the second one when they were jovial, jovial and friendly, but it's also completely different from two things. One, whether you think it's cheesy or not, we have seen a return from Connor to the old energy in terms of the social media posts well, about the pee head well, and the posts about the wife's I DMs. Just, I disagree. But he's been quiet as all heck. Yes. So it's comparable to the build of the Nate Diaz rematch. Luke, what do you overall make of the fact that Connor hasn't even done like the sit down with the Mac Life or Brett Okamoto of ESPN or nope. BT Sport with Dude, Gareth he's A. Davis. Like, he's he's not, seen anything. He's not even in the UFC embedded. At least I, th there may be the third one. I've up. watched the first two episodes. He's yep. not even in there one time. Nothing. Yeah. He's nothing in there at all. And that's obviously something he has said he wanted to do. He'd probably pick it up where Rousey left off. Not in the same way. Yeah, radio think, silence for Rousey didn't work out. But it did work out ahead of the Nate one. Are we seeing with the six month turnaround, Luke? A completely dialed in focus. Maybe he'll put out the tweets to keep the, the trash talk alive. Yeah. Like, I want to pair that into what your expectations are for the press events, including Thursday's press conference, which is going to be the first time Connor is going to be front and center in front of yeah. all the media. Will we see that energy evolve? I think you'll def. Here's where I'm at on this. I definitely feel like you will not. There's no way you're going to see what you saw in the second one, which was two Boy Scouts getting together to high five. That's completely out the window. Yeah, that was are lame. You, that are was you, also lame. Yeah, right? Are you going to get the same, to bar from Dana White in terms of the word, are you going to get the same darkness as the Habib presser? No, I don't think you will get that either. So it'll be something kind of in between. The question is also how Poirier plays it. He claims, like, it doesn't matter what Connor says and does at this point. He's over it. He doesn't play those games. He already put you on airplane mode, to use the words from Dustin Poirier. So he seems to think it won't be that way. But I, this is the thing about Connor that stands out to me, to your point. A lot of him missing here, number one. Number two, when he does trash talk, 
Dude, it's not very good. Like, calling Dustin Poirier a peahead, it was kind of funny when you did it in 2014. Then if after you win, it was great. But, like, everyone was like, oh, he's on par with Ali with Trash Talk. Not uh, recently. He, he was in the build the Mayweather, but that's Maybe. a long yeah, time ago now. This is my point. Know? Yes, there was a time where he was, you know, what do you want to call him, black belt at verbal sparring or, or fighting, whatever it was. He was unbelievable at it. I don't pick up on that at all, but I do think you also point out something a little bit more important than, you know, is he there with the same playing the dozens bit. He had a private camp at a private gym. He did not, he flew away from his family. He didn't have him over. Much more Spartan, much more focused, much more rigorous. Six, seven month turnaround, depending on your math. And more to the point, BC, left no stone unturned. Yes, to yes. me, Rousey was like, F the media for treating me bad. Connor, I don't think likes fame. He even said it as much in the preview that they did with UFC. But, but, he understands some of it has to be done. There is going to be the presser. And he has gone back, at least to training, at a much more programmed, focused, dedicated, isolated way. That has to, I think, in the build to this, if you're, if, you're doing, if you're keeping score in your head about what the odds should be for this third fight, and we are seeing uh, Poirier, I think rightfully so, as the favorite, but Connor, a very small underdog still. I think in the plus 100 area, Luke, if I'm correct. Yeah, I can look uh, that up. I mean, I think that should be part of the conversation, the, 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 how quiet Connor has been. And Luke, you mentioned the Habib fight. You know, that was dark and angry, and I think that was fueled by not only the bus incident, I think it was fueled by the things that Conor McGregor was doing outside the cage that were negative to his performance inside of it. He admitted, without saying it, Luke, but kind of saying it without saying it, that the build of the Habib fight, even though he got in shape, he was taking part in some extracurriculars. You can, you yeah, can but put he also in, went after Habib's wife. And you can put in whatever you think religion. those extracurriculars were, Luke. I think I know what they were, but uh, I don't think that's a part of it right now. I do need... Not the second build, respectful guy. I need the warrior again. And if he can find that through silence, and if he can produce part of that at Thursday's press conference to do the final sell job for the fight, more power to it. I think, though, you have to think of that as a plus for Connor heading in, even though yes. this is a big challenge. And I have picked Connor, Luke, along the way. Picked him against Habib, believing the magic could be rekindled. Picked him against Poirier, believing he still had that mental edge. He doesn't have a lot of edges entering the third fight. We have to be honest about this. Yeah, I do think it, it deserves to be noted. Like, what did you and I get wrong about the second fight beyond the prediction? Here's what I got really wrong about the second fight as we transition to the third here in just a minute. <coughs> People had asked me, like, what do you make of Connor doing the whole I'm friendly, I'm an elder statesman bit? And I thought, well, you know, it certainly is less entertaining. But I don't think it matters for his vocation because if you look at other, other fighters, they're plenty respectful. They're plenty just, you know, calm and dialed in. They don't hate their opponents. And then they go out there and fight like savages. But it turns out that Connor's maybe not that way. Maybe the reality is the guys who are calm and nice and friendly on fight week, that's just how they normally are. So they're not getting away from themselves or they can at least remain in a competitive mindset while being friendly. It looked to me like Connor lost a competitive mindset yes. while maintaining that energy. So I don't know that he needs to go out there and say your wife is, you know, terrible things, but he does need to be a little bit F you about that. He may whole need thing. to get Roman forward slash combat. That's what he may need here. Uh, to close here, and before we go into this Colby Covington match. By the way, by the way, real quickly, William Hill, to your point, has our friends at William Hill have Connor McGregor at it right now. Plus 105, Dustin Poirier, a minus 125. Slight favorite for uh, the Poirier. I want to talk about Poirier's mindset. Now, he's a completely well-rounded fighter, meaning he goes in there and he always says, I'm going in there to be a mixed martial artist, meaning whatever my opponent's giving me, I'm ready to adapt to. And certainly across the board, Poirier really has no holes there. Could his chin be flashed with a big shot? I think that was part of us picking McGregor in the second fight. But... He held up well in that second fight against McGregor. I want to ask you this. How much will wrestling play a part? In, in the mindset of Poirier is this. Well, hold on. We'll get to that I feel we, like we Poirier could have 
somewhat easy success if he wanted to consistently take McGregor down. I don't know if he could land a ton of ground and pound and, and put McGregor in peril, but if he wanted to go that route a little more boring, a little bit more methodical, I think he could have success. Does the Poirier mindset, though, believe that's the right way to carry out this third fight? You kind of believe he's got that attitude that I stopped Connor in the second fight, I'm going to stop him even easier in the third fight to show people what's up. Let's put a pin in that because I want to get to it. Oh, wow. Oh, well, wow. Let's talk about this very quickly. We'll talk about this sparring video, and then I want to talk about the third fight. So there was this video that Colby Covington, UFC welterweight, former training partner of Dustin Poirier, released, claiming to have some kind of like Zapruder film of gotcha, where I guess Colby thought that if I share this, people will think Dustin is a bad guy. Uh, Jay, I think, or not uh, Jay, I'm sorry. Wow. Corey, I, wow. I know, I yeah. said Jay. <laughs> wow, wow. Jay. I really, wow. I did you dirty, Corey. I apologize. Corey, do we have the footage of this? That we can roll. Man, big Meech, they call him Larry Hoover. BC, I said on Twitter, two things stood out to me about this video. Number one, like nobody knows the context. It turns out that some of the details that Colby had shared were not even accurate, that this guy wasn't an amateur, number one. And number two, this was not for the Habib fight. More to the point, you don't have any information about why they're doing this. And the second thing I would say is, BC, at face value, let me tell you something. I've seen high-level pros spar. It looks a lot worse than this. Yeah, a couple things here. You know, I, I tend to like craziness in this game. We know this. I tend to like someone like Colby just throwing things upside down. And, you know, I tend to like conspiracies and Zapruder films. You better believe that. This com seems completely out of context to me. I think Mike Bone of, uh, of not only uh, Boner, yes. getting females' numbers on the plane and doing worse things there, but, uh, but of USA Today and uh, MMA Junkie fame did sort of debunk this, uh, all the details in which Colby was wrong. Luke, I tend to be one of those nosy journalism members who, when I interview people, say, I hear things about the sparring. Hey, Errol Spence, I heard you gave it to Mayweather when you were still an amateur. Tell me the story, bro. And they don't like to tell those no, stories. No, they don't. Luke, Kayla Harrison on Morning Combat just last week said, look, I don't always look like a champion in sparring, even when I'm in there with Amanda Nunes, but sparring and fights are completely different. I don't take really anything from this. Besides, yeah. besides Colby trying to star F. Does that make sense? Star F this UFC 264 moment. Well, he star he, F. remember, like, this, is, this is not his division, but remember when uh, Usman was fighting Woodley, he showed up to Vegas and made everything about himself, which was actually a pretty clever play. It worked at least to, to some degree anyway. It seems like he's trying to do like a half-assed Cloud version. chasing. Cloud chasing is what, the, is what the kids say? Yeah. By the way, I learned there's a word called chuggy. You ever heard the word chuggy? No, I'm 42 and really old. Yeah, so am I. But apparently it's what Gen Zers make fun of the millennials for being old for. Anyway, it looks to me like this sparring video is Colby trying to do like a half-assed version of inserting himself into the conversation. And like there's really, there's, there's no there there yeah. with this. And Sorry, he also inserted, us in the, inserted himself into the middle of a good conversation people were like, with oh, us that you put Poirier a didn't in. go check on him. Okay, people. Dude, this is the fucking hurt business. Like, yeah. he hurt him and walked away. You don't know if that kid taunted him. You don't know what he said to him. You don't know what he told him to do. Nothing. Like, you know, I got to tell you, I've seen people stretched in sparring before. I've seen, at a famous camp, I saw a guy get stretched once. They didn't rush over to pick him up. This is not the NBA where yeah. LeBron tells, don't get up from the court when you get knocked down so your brothers come get you. Doesn't really work that way from what I've seen. So I, there's, there's no there there. There's a guy uh, lingering around our set who's been up all night. He may get stretched if he keeps it up a little bit. Yeah, he is, uh, he's awful. And <laughs> uh, he probably has COVID. He's all right. Canada, by the way. Let's, um, let's talk about topic number two here. We've sort of laid the groundwork for what we expect. But I want to go in a bit of a slightly different direction. You BC. did put a pin in my question, though. Let's unpin it. Oh, now. wow. Here we go. BC, let's say it straightforwardly. What to you are the most important factors? that either Connor or Poirier has to do, we can start with whoever you want to start with, 
in order to maintain victory? What are the things that they have to do, particularly the X factor, the one special thing, maybe the two special things that has to happen for either guy to win? Who do you want to start with? Let me What's start with McGregor. All right. and, let, and it kind of ties into everything that we opened the show with. I need two things from McGregor in the opening round. And it's, it's, that's what we normally talk about when you handicap a McGregor fight. It's normally, if he can do this or this in the opening round, he could win. If he doesn't, and we go into the latter portion of the fight, that's what's going to happen. In the opening round from McGregor, I need two things. One, I need him to land a big shot that gives Poirier pause. Similar to what he did in the second round with that combination. Maybe Conor didn't realize how close he actually may have had him to potentially finishing him there. But number two, Luke, like the Nate Diaz rematch, I need more wrinkles. I need to know that the six months that Conor was in hibernation, Rocky Four style, in you know, in the uh, Siberian winter, climbing the mountain there, that he has worked on not just his remedial response to the calf strikes, which played a huge part in the second fight, immobilizing him and leaving him open for Poirier's combinations to get him out of there uh just a different luke uh, yeah different spirit bde all that stuff but a different feel that he's going to bring more layers to the game i think the first round in establishing that will be very key so i'm gonna say for connor here's my x factor for winning there's a lot of different individual tactical and strategic things he needs to do to win but this is the key to me dude you cannot let this go late you cannot let this go late for a couple of reasons one I think some of the arguments, BC, about Connor's cardio are real, but a little bit overstated. A little bit overstated. They're real. He's not nearly as good in the fifth round as he is in the first. I think that's entirely fair. Most guys aren't, but there's a pretty big drop-off for him. Still, it's less about that and more about the fact that Dustin Poirier is not just battle-tested. He has one-punch or one first-round KOs like Yancey Medeiros or... Um, he put it on Bobby Jim Miller. Green. I'm not sure. Did he finish Jim Miller? He put it on him. He put it on him. But here's the thing I want to point out. Against Alvarez, it may have gone to the second round. But against, like, Gaethje, it took him to the fourth. Against a lot of guys, he had to go into Eddie the Alvarez. second, third, fourth, fifth round sometimes. You know, a lot of guys he's gone the distance with. Poirier knows how to turn it on late. And for a guy who's automatically a bit of a stronger starter than he is a finisher, McGregor, he absolutely needs to capitalize on that. I, well, I, he's I almost more dangerous late, Luke, because usually his Connor? opponents, no, Dustin, oh, Dustin yeah. because his opponents are not on that same no level doubt. of battle his tested. His cardio is amazing. His composure under fire is amazing. But I do think that Connor is a much here. stronger starter. You all right over there? Yeah, just have, I'm, I'm running Where's into Dane? some issues Dane right here. Dane, come fix this? Uh, our anyway. our producer slash security, Dane, will be here it's in seconds to fix the this. The point I wanted to make is I do believe that Connor, your point is you know, making Dustin think about what could be coming, get in his head, totally agree. I think piggybacking on top of that is, man, you really, really, really need to realize if you don't win that fight inside the first 15 minutes, the, I'm not saying he can't win it after that, but I think the chances drop off significantly after that point. Uh, I, and look, it's different than where McGregor showed great cardio in, in one fight, right? The Diaz rematch. And there were, there was, there were drops. There were, I, I wouldn't call there that were stamina cardio. drops where you look like he was on the way of getting stopped, but he gutted it out. And that yes, was sort of a, all, there was some all-time great levels of just biting down, gutting 100%, it out. You 100%. don't want to do that against Poirier because I think of the question that I asked you before. He also can bring it to the ground in ways that Nate never would because it's not Nate's style, even though Nate has a fantastic submission game. If you're Poirier, will you bring it to the ground early? Will you use that to gas? out McGregor or are you of the mindset again I stopped him in the second fight first guy ever to do that I'm going to stop him even earlier in the third fight to put that final statement into the that stake in the ground what wrestling will we see from Poirier in this fight I don't know because I do think it has to play some kind of a factor and I don't think you can go back to the well on that old setup of the of the, the shifting through stance like that way but I I don't see how 
The question you have to ask yourself is, could Dustin Poirier beat Conor McGregor if the fight was just a striking bout? And the answer is, I think he could. Yes, I think that's a doable victory. But the second question is, okay, maybe that's a doable victory, but what if you added in wrestling success fun. to some degree or some grappling success or this clinch or pressing this. against the fence, something like that. If you added that element in for Dustin Poirier, it elevates his striking completely. I mean, if you think about his takedowns, where do they come from? Okay, he can switch stance into him. A lot of times is he'll barrel forward with punches, get the guy covering back to the fence, and then he kind of presses into him. Maybe he'll scoop slam him. Maybe he'll do something else. But his strikes are just absolutely central to any kind of setup or opportunity. So I, it's not the case of Frankie Edgar where if he can't get the takedown, it really impacts his ability to win. I think he has a better stand-up in that sense. But I also think it deserves to be noted Whatever success Connor, or excuse me, Dustin could have on the feet if it was just kickboxing or just boxing, his chances just go way up. I with fully some agree. Kind of grappling overtones. The pit crew was just taking care of me yes. there. I got an oil change and everything there, Luke. Hopefully, I had, I had, so, to, I had to juggle. Like sorry for talking on there. the hot mic here. I was like a little to the left, please. Can you scratch? You know, downtown here. Let me go up Do, the valley. Look, answer the question for me. How competitive is it for Dustin Poirier if it's strictly a striking match? No wrestling, no no clinching, no nothing. Uh, I think he proved in the second fight that he has the overall advantage, Luke, because I don't think McGregor's got the one-punch power at 55 to get him spark out of there. The, let's, 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 let's talk about McGregor's history above oh, 145. We didn't, we didn't do X-Factors for, for Dustin yet. All right, we'll get to that in a second. Right. But McGregor's history above 145 has included an Eddie Alvarez who unfortunately did not take the game plan given to him to wrestle and instead got a little bit into a mano-a-mano -mano battle and walked at him. And he ate the four-punch combination, which finished him, and Eddie got knocked down early in that fight. Again, Nate was into, let's just blood and guts find out who's the bigger man, right? We don't need rounds. We'll fight the distance. Connor, did he beat him in the second fight? I had him just barely doing it, but he did it by boxing. Where's the history outside of that cowboy fight at welterweight, which, again, was a was a washed version of a once-great fighter who didn't show up in the big moment and it lasted 40 seconds? When have we seen dominant power? above 145. I hate using this narrative because this is the narrative, the weak one, uh, I think that the BS. critics use, Luke. Yeah, I don't buy But I this. think I've, I've gone back and over... Am I overcorrecting my... I my, think a little bit. ...my belief in McGregor's magic too much at certain points? Maybe, Luke. But with that in mind... Um, yeah, Poirier can out can outstrike him in a one-on-one mano-a-mano striking battle. Yes, he used the calf kicks to immobilize him in the second fight, but I think that he's got to obviously be careful. He doesn't want to be in a straight shootout with him, but he's got more wrinkles in his overall striking game to set that up. Yeah. Now, X-Factors for Poirier in the first round. What do you got? All right. Uh, for me, for X-Factors, this is going to sound crazy because I do think you're right. One of the keys I took away from the second fight for Poirier was, okay, some of the entries and some of the tricks he was trying, I don't know if they'll be there for the third fight, but there is no denying Poirier's timing has gotten way better. He was able to read Conor McGregor and the shots he was throwing a lot easier. So if I'm Dustin Poirier, I don't want to lose sight of that, BC. But here's a little bit of my key to victory or my X factor that I'm looking for. He's got to find another way to slow the fight down, maybe make it in spaces a little bit boring, right? Press That's Conor where the wrestling could come press, into play. Okay, let's say you can't even get it. You can still press him against the fence, hang on his arms, force him to pummel, force him to work. Again, Connor, everyone has drop-offs in their game between the first and third, first and fifth, unless you're Neil Magny or something, in which case he's much better. But most people, it declines. Connor drops off a little bit of a cliff relative to most fighters, I think, or at least elite fighters in that way. Dude, you've got to make that guy work. He did it with wrestling in the first one. I think some of that's going to be gone. But I do think slowing it down, striking on your terms as best you can, clinching up with him, 
uh, you know, safely, obviously, because he can be a pretty uh, formidable character there. But pressing him against the fence, slowing him down, and then slowly opening up. Remember, he's going to be better over time. His power and cardio carries late. Why risk an early gunslinging bout if you don't have to? That's fair. We'll, we'll, uh, how will Connor respond to the calf kicks, which were such a big theme in the second fight, in this third fight? Will either of them use their legs to a larger degree than they did in that second fight? I think partly he's going to be out of the way for them. More his stance might be switching a little bit. I also think when he gets hit like that, he's going to be probably be moving into Poirier a little bit more. There was a couple of times he countered Poirier in the second fight. Again, not enough to change the outcome. But they did land. That's something he could potentially build off of. So get out of the way of some, change stance for the others, and then if he does land, absolutely make him pay. I think you're going to see I want to give you that. a final note and sort of question on the idea of what we're going to see Thursday afternoon, early evening on the East Coast when they do the press conference, which I think, unless any interview drops before then, could end up being the first time we really see Conor McGregor this camp for a detailed question and answer is about the energy. Luke, the build to the second fight in which you and I picked Conor to beat Dustin, it wasn't just to the idea that maybe Dustin, for as well-rounded and great as he is, there's still the potential for a flash chin. There's still the potential that what McGregor does best is get to your chin in the first round and land the combination. And again, McGregor had moments in those first two rounds. But I think part of that was I was thinking... What did he succeed in the first fight? Getting in Poirier's head. Even though Poirier had adjusted since that 2014 loss and figured out how to not fight emotional, figured out how to find the deeper level of confidence and really figure out emotionally, which is so much more in this game than even we talk about, how to bring that away. I still thought if the Conor of old showed up in the build, he could get in Poirier's head. Well, the Conor of old never showed up in the build. Again, they were brotherly, respectful. I'll hold up your hot sauce. You'll potentially, potentially donate to my foundation. Luke... If Connor goes off the rails on Thursday, this is a potential X factor. How would this version of Dustin, if Connor goes really serious, and you might say, oh, how serious, how personal is he going to go? He just tweeted out a picture of McGregor's wife's DMs with the little thing says, you know, will you accept this DM slide, basically. That's, that's trying something there. Poirier may just deflect that. What level, if Connor goes old school, crazy Connor? could that have on Poirier's I thought if his I thought his chance to do that would have been the last fight because there was a lot of questions about how important there's two questions you have to ask yourself is or at least two considerations really does Conor McGregor need to hype up the energy and the intensity and frankly some of the vitriol to help himself in the sense that it doesn't have an impact on his opponent it's just about self-actualization fair maybe or is it about some self-actualization while poisoning the well to get the other person to sort of be your dance partner in that game you're playing I think either way, ratcheting things up, I'm not saying he has to go after people's wives, I certainly don't recommend that per se, but I think, BC, to answer your question, it more or less won't have an effect on Poirier. I, I, I believe that now, at this point, in his senior level development of his career, I go back to, I think Connor needs to do that to get himself in the competitive mindset. I like what the way you, you frame that. What do you need to say to get you dialed in? People, dude, you ever seen these coaches in football that give these impassioned speeches? Yes. They're not out the one, they're not playing out there. They're not the ones actually doing the work, but what are they doing? They're inspiring young men to go play at their Luke, best. Luke, I have this thing I do and pick up old men 40 and over basketball where, Luke, like, you know, there's lines on the court. And to me, the way my values are, when you step inside those lines, it's the battlefield, brother. If I step outside of it, bro, I'm not looking to fight you in the parking lot. But in those lines, Luke, I will bring it. I will get under your skin. I will find a way to get any mental advantage I can. I will start fights and get close to being punched sometimes. Why, Luke? Like uh, Wesley, no, like um, Woody Harrelson's character in White Man Can't Jump, because I'm in an effing zone. This gets me fired up. I like what you're saying about Connor. He may have to do all this shenanigans just to find that Connor of old. Do you know what I want to see Connor do the most on Thursday? 
show up with the same 2014 haircut. That awful that side shave, man, man bun braids with the thing in the back. Luke, I need to see that BDE show up on, on, on Thursday. Then I'll know for his sake, like me on the basketball court, he's willing to do anything to win, Luke. You know, okay? most of the time in my life when I've looked in the mirror, I've usually spat at it or cursed and been like, God, why did you make me look this way? But even then, I wouldn't, I've never had the kind of revulsion I would if I had a man bun sitting on top of my dome. It's the worst haircut in the galaxy. Can we just say that out loud? Yeah, but guys that slay, they, they can pull that off. Yeah, but not because of the haircut. They can slay in spite of it. It's like a handicap. You know what I mean? I think we're, we, you know, we kind of like the question facing Connor entering this third fight. Has the sport <laughs> passed him by, Luke? The cool culture has long passed us yes, by. Yes, we are right. absolutely disgusting and terrible people. Um, all right, so any other things to think about with 264 as it relates to that main event that we haven't covered here over the last couple of shows? I do think one more thing. The whole, we've, we covered it in the last show, but Connor being like, oh, first one to shoot's a dusty bitch or whatever the word was. I really wonder what approach strategically he's going to take because it wouldn't surprise me if he shot at least as a decoy. I, I tend to think that, like, I don't know, is it decoy for something bigger, or does he actually want to just double down on, please don't wrestle with Again, me? Again, I think those decoys fire him up. You and I, before this show went on, we're, I had the 2014 fight on my phone. You were watching the second one, and I'm watching, again, in that first fight, all the, the fake spinny stuff early on, and you said, look, that's him in a flow. Look, he's got to get to that flow where he feels confident, but most importantly, the opponent feels like anything can happen. Poirier in the second fight never felt like anything more than... Yeah, what's going to happen, did. okay? That's, that's, that's what money, the, shadow boxing. That's what, uh, well, can I get the ISO? Can you give me, can you, can you give it to me here? Hey, Poirier, can, hey can you make your jacket tighter? <laughs> this is what Poirier knew was coming the whole time, Luke. Straight on, right there, okay? Yeah. Uh, wow, you know, Luke, I have lost eight pounds, and I'm cleaning up my liver a little bit. All right, you want to do the rest of the show standing? No, I don't. All can right. You sit down and stop being weird? All right. All right. Uh, let's go to topic number three here, BC, if we can which is not involving in the main event. Let's actually talk about the co-main event. Now, obviously, the main event is going to shadow over everything, especially when the Conor McGregor is one half of it. But you should not lose sight of a very interesting welterweight clash. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson taking on Gilbert Burns. I watched some of the stuff the UFC put together for this, BC. I have to tell you, pretty, pretty incredible. Let's talk about it. When you think of the stakes in this bout, beyond, beyond ranking, beyond maybe even title shot? Is there anything more to it than them jockeying for rankings position and the glory that comes with it? I mean, I mean, connected to that is proving yourself because the winner is going to be in such a strong position to not get an immediate title shot, but to be in the title shot conversation, which, again, I say ad nauseum all the time. When you're an old guy with a name like Thompson now is, and he's still really good, uh, sometimes you just got to stay around the phone. You may end up getting a last-minute title shot. Uh, but in within that is a proving ground, Luke. Yes, the winner would get closer to that, but I said something on Monday show when we were doing the storylines for this, Luke, that people took umbrage with, and I wanted to get your reaction because people say you didn't protect Wonderboy. Now, first of all, I love me some Stephen Thompson, one of my favorite guys to interview, although on the embedded. Is he a little cringy? A little cringy. A little cringy. Dude, you're cringy. You I'm, I'm pretty cringy. Um, I will say I said that Stephen Thompson throughout his career has been very good. Very good. Never great. Never got over that hump. And other people are like, didn't you watch the two Woodley fights? Yeah, he came as close as you can come to winning it. Am yeah, I off the That's the definition of very good, not Am great. I off the wall or am I right on point? No, you're 100% on point. They, they, want, they want, like... Like, oh, he's great, and then there's another status reserved for champions only after the fact. Yeah. I will say this, though, BC. You're, both you and the audience are kind of homing in on something here that 
to me became crystallized when I watched some of the, the promotional work that UFC put together for this fight, which is both Gilbert and Wonderboy are in the same place in the sense that they got right to the top uh, in terms of challenging for a title, fell short, and now they're forced to retool both as somewhat of specialists who are trying to grow their overall game. But there's a big departure between them, and it is only something that Wonderboy is having to deal with, namely BC. We don't talk about him in this way, but he has now been relevant in the welterweight division for a really long time. He's been, he beat Robert Whitaker back when Robert Whitaker was a welterweight and did it actually making it look Pete kind of Rory, easy. Rory, he's got a phenomenal resume. We don't talk about him in this way, but he's a little bit Rich Franklin-ish. He's a little bit of that guy, hear me out, the, okay. the, the parallels okay. are not perfect, but okay. has he been a guy? He's a Caucasian, I'll give you that. Yes, he's Caucasian. Has he been a guy who has maintained a high level of achievement at welterweight without being able to claim the title, but by beating round after round, year after year of top contender. Now, Franklin stumbled too, but the point being is, dude, you, people are sleeping on Wonderboy's resume. You mentioned Rory. How about Jorge Masvidal as well, Vicente Luque That fight as was well. not close. The Masvidal fight was this not close. This is my point. If he beats Gilbert Burns, he might get a title shot. He might not. I don't know. Pro he probably would, but it would prove you can still main. He has stayed re Dude, the guy's almost he's 36. He has stayed relevant at welterweight just short of that truly elite level year after year after year. Again, the stock dropped, the stock went up depending on certain victories and certain losses. But overall, it remained a blue chip stock. To me, I think what he's looking for is to use the Gilbert Burns fight. No one's making the exact Rich Franklin parallel, but the, the place he's in is not too dissimilar from it. I compare him more to a Machida. I know that's the karate style, but, but also... Won the title. Would, yeah, Thompson came close. Franklin also won. I get your comparison, and I'm, not, and I'm not turning that one down here. Luke, I wonder, though, if we talk about, like— and Franklin won the title, too. What's so that, yeah, yeah, he did. Well, what's at stake here is, you know, the potential for a title shot, but the proving ground for Thompson, not to prove me wrong and say, no, I've been great, not very good, like you said, BC, but to prove, Luke, that he's still a player in this division. The same for Gilbert Burns, who, who came out of nowhere, put his whole game together, got to that title level, and got dispatched fairly— easily and one-sided, you know, against a great champion of Kamaru Usman. When I see the personas and the embedded, I like that they both got a close-up like this because maybe with the lack of Connor, right, in this embedded series so far, we, there's more time for that. But I saw Gilbert Burns, despite being a nice guy and he's a great interview and he's smiley, he's a savage underneath that. Um, what if Thompson, my fear for him at this point in his career, as the reflexes slow just a bit, but he's still got that difficult game, he's still in great shape, he's still all that. Luke, is he going to feel the the onus to do something special on Saturday night, not just win the fight. Because, again, when I say the very good, great comparison, he got as close as you can come to winning that title, but he could not get over the hump twice against Woodley. Is he going to be in a spot now where he feels like, I need to do something dramatic to get over that hump? This is my last chance, and that's going to run him right into getting knocked the hell out by a savage like Gilbert Price. I, I don't know. I, I think he'll stick to his game, which he called legs and lungs, or his dad did on the, on the Embedded. For me, BC, I, I, again, I think everyone's sleeping on this. Dude, do you know, Glover Teixeira is on the precipice of this. Do you know how hard it is to contend for a UFC title, lose, in this case authoritatively, in the sense that they fought over 10 rounds and, and uh, obviously Woodley won them all, or won the two, or, you know, won one of the bouts. We, well, we some people believe that. that but would, here's my point. Know. To lose that, retool, keep fighting in that shark tank, and then go and get another title shot. Now he has to beat Gilbert Burns to do it. Dude, that is very, very rare, very hard to do. Yeah, there are guys who get gifted title shots a little bit quicker than others. You know, Uriah Favors probably had a couple that weren't necessarily all that, you know, meritocratic. But for Wonderboy Thompson, 
if he beats Gilbert Burns and gets a title shot, you can't say he didn't earn it. Again, dude, to stay that good, that excellent, with that amount of longevity, maybe he'll win the title one day, maybe he won't. But to be in this position this late at 170 pounds, that is very, very, very Well, impressive. that gets him in the door. That's impressive. But he's got to win this he's fight, win. though, Luke. Do you feel like we are, because of the most recent, look, look, uh, you're only as good as your last fight, recency bias, all that. Gilbert Burns, who looked like a completely finally well-rounded savage, got humbled so one-sidedly against Usman. Do you think we are overlooking his, where he's actually at and his potential to come back and make a large statement on Saturday? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Is this guy still, you know, he claims that, like, whatever happened against Usman, he learned his lesson, you know. But that was a bit of a bad loss. He had really worked him his way up to that position. Started strong. We can both agree. Started oh, yeah. strong. Oh, yeah. But then when Kamaru did Kamaru things, he just couldn't really get into gear. Gilbert landed a bomb early in that fight. Who? Gilbert Burns. Yes, he did. Uh, yeah. A couple of them, actually. Landed a couple really nice punches. So how does he retool from this? The good news for him is it's a three-round fight, not a five. That's a little bit easier for him to, I think, um, to win, I'll say that. Also, remember, his coach is Henry Hooft, who's not just a good coach in the general sense. Yeah. Dutch kickboxing. I go back to it. Joseph Altolini has talked about it at length. How do you beat a guy who's a sticker and a mover like Wonderboy Thompson? Gilbert Burns bringing in Raymond Daniels, who has that stick-and-move style, but you got Henry Hooft in your corner, who understands the very intricacies and basically the, the, the mojo behind Dutch kickboxing. Dude, he's in a good place to get it done. If he can't get it done here, I don't know that it says terrible things about Gilbert, but it definitely retools his career from the high he was at coming off of the Woodley Luke, one. sometimes, sometimes I can see the future. Right now, I can't really see past these big lights. I see a lot of bodies out there. Uh, I can see the future, though. Have you ever seen um, a fight called Machida Hua 2? Yeah, it wasn't very long. That's what's going to happen Saturday night. Brazil back on top. You think so? I, I, I actually have seen it. I've seen it. I actually just want to put a pin in that one, Luke, okay? Put a pin in that. And I love me some Wonderboy Times. You know him? He's got a great okay, now background. The, now the audience is going to come after in you. In Van Damme movies. He loves Seagal. He loves all the shit that we grew up on, too. Yeah. Great guy, too. But uh, if you've seen Hua Machida, too, you've seen Saturday Night's What is play. your source of confidence that it will go that way? Clairvoyancy. Clairvoyance, you mean? Well, there's a – all right. No, seriously. Give me the strategic. I don't think it's crazy. I just want to know what it is. Look, I think Gilbert Burns is better than than the loss showed you us. You think he can effectively corner? I a think guy the like thing Wonderboy. you have to do, like you said, against a guy, against a guy like Wonderboy, is put it on him. Is to cut across that line, land something big, Luke. I feel like there's going to be an urgency in this three-round fight for Burns to do that. I feel like there's a confidence level and a savagery that he's going to bring to the table that Thompson will be able to be in this fight and make the groundwork for a difficult foundation. But Burns is going to walk right through and flip that foundation upside down. I don't need some creative, Luke, breakdown of, of me pouring through hours of video to tell you that I got a feeling. Okay? I see that. I see that. All right, let's go to our last major topic for today. There's lots more previewing to come. But USC 264, you got your man, you got your co-main covered. Main card's got some other stuff. Prelims have got some other stuff. BC, tell me what else on the UFC 264 fight card is on your radar. Would you make fun of me if you if I said I'm actually interested in Jessica and Jennifer Maya? No, there at the, well, but you got to tell me why. At the women's uh, flyweight division there. Um, you know, I, are we going to exit Saturday night with a here we go evil chant, Luke? <laughs> I don't know. Um, look, th th this is uh, – this is an interesting matchup style-wise. I think Maya showed a lot in that title loss 
that to Shevchenko that she's tougher than we think. That I think she will enter into a new level of confidence in that fight for how good she actually could be. I think we had put her in a sort of a box, and she showed, no, I can do different things. I think they could be on display against Jessica I, who's always a tough out, probably gonna, never going to get over that hill, but is always a tough out in this division. I think that this is a key one for future placement in this division, which is heating up just a little bit. It was like the worst division ever, save for women's 145 in UFC. But now we've got... Uh, Tatiana Suarez parachuting in. We had Jessica Andrade there in the title shot. I don't think Jennifer Maya's done knocking on that title door. And I think if she can put it all together here against I, this could be an interesting little bit of theater. Uh, so that is the main event, so to speak, of the early prelims. Actually, BC, I think the, the, the prelim card itself is great. We talked a little bit about this on Monday. Carlos Condit, if he's able to beat Max Griffin, I think would say a like lot about fight. his rejuvenation. Nico Price versus Michelle Pereira is going to be bananas. Buckle up. Probably. Buckle probably. up. Uh, I'll come back to Ryan Hall, Ilya Tapuria, because I did talk about it on Monday. I do want to give one note at middleweight to – South Africans have, are white people with the craziest names. So, Drykus the Duplessis taking on Trevin Giles. Duplessis is the guy who was the, the white guy from South Africa who was like, I want to be the first actually official African champion because um, he trains out of there, lives there the whole nine yards. He is a, he's an interesting prospect. He's a, he's a very, very good fighter. He's only had one fight in the UFC, the Marcus Perez fight. But this is his second one. Trevin Giles, I think, is a good test for the next level up. So pay attention to see how he looks exactly in this fight. But again, I go back to it. Ryan Hall taking on Ilya Toporia. On Monday, we discussed it a little bit, BC. Ryan Hall was on my flight. I asked him how he was feeling. He said he's never felt better in his life. He looks super pumped. He didn't look 36 in that picture. He's, yeah, no, he does. He takes extremely good care of himself. So um, that'll be an interesting fight. But Ilya Toporia, people have been asking me since You're then. You're talking a big game about Ilya Yeah, Tuporia. yeah. People ask me, like, again, will he, is he going to beat Ryan Hall? I don't know. Ryan Hall's a very, very tough fight for anybody. But the reason why I have some confidence, at least in his long-term potential, maybe not for Saturday, maybe we'll see. But for long-term BC, he's extremely athletic. He's young. I think he's only 23, 24 years old. Already a black belt, trains with a great camp, and just has a game built for quick, consistent, effective MMA offense. If you're standing at distance, he's got great kickboxing. On top, his ground and pound gets right to work. He doesn't have to secure position. He goes right to it. Obviously, he's got great submissions as well, and a hunger and a thirst. And by the way, these dudes from the Chechnya... You know, Georgian. Don't stereotype. Them. No, no, no. I'm not stereotyping. But all these fighters who come out of the Caucasus region, man, like Hasbula. Like who? Hasbula. Hasbula. You Has mean the the guy who's short? And yeah. Got a weird the, guy, the guy's got good takedown. Are, are you making fun of people now? No, 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 no. But the point being is, all the all the people from that part of the world, um, you know, or I should say, a lot of really good fighters come out of there and not by accident. He's tough. He's hard nosed. The difference is for me, Ryan Hall is obviously going to have a significant advantage over him in terms of pure jiu-jitsu on the ground. And he doesn't have the traditional, oh, let's lock up guard and go for arm bars. He can do those. Obviously, those are in his repertoire. But the, the spinny shit, the, the video game rolling, submissions, yeah. the, the heel hooks, it's such an X factor. It's, it's such a knuckleball way to fight MMA, so to speak. He's Tim Wakefield in the 90s and the 2000s. That some guys are going to – I've seen nights, BC, where Tim Wakefield got shelled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of nights where a lot of players sat down very bitter at a guy yeah. throwing, you know, 50 miles an hour at him uh, with no movement Tim Wakefield ball. was a lot like Prime BC in the club. Some nights, just not going to have it, right? <laughs> just going to get – I'm going to get slapped early. Uh, Luke, I did want to say, though, to yeah. your excitement about Elia. Can I call him that? I guess so, yeah. I've never seen you this excited about a fighter since two men. Israel Adesanya. Mm -hmm. Surreal gone. Surreal guy. I can't believe you thought I was so wrong about that. I was, like, shocked to hear you admit that. Why did you think I was so wrong about it? Luke, I didn't, good. I, I didn't think he was going to level up that quickly. I saw the game. I yes, saw the potential quickly, in fine, there. Fine, but fine. I'm like, does he have the chin? Does he have the five-round cardio? Does he have those things? The last two fights, he's shown us a lot. Luke, Manichas aren't here. He wants us to keep it rolling here, all right?
He just told me to wrap it up. Did you? Manich. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, that's right. right. That's yeah, right. we do okay. have timing timing issues. So that's here. it for us for UFC 264 for today, BC. Um, but it's not that? it for us on the show. We're going to get into some fun stuff here. Luke, there's a segment we typically do on, on, uh, on Mondays, I believe, mm -hmm. DMs from Donks. I want to tell people a little bit about Friday. When we come back to this set, 11 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p. is that 2 p.m.? 2 p.m. Yes, Eastern 2 time. East After the official UFC 264 weigh-ins, we're going to come back to this set. We're going to do live morning combat. I'm sure there's going to be a fantastic crowd. We're going to do the Wheel of Death. We're also going to do something I created, Luke. In-person DMs for donks. Well, we're going to create a third chair and put the donks, heavily vetted donks, on this set, ready to ask us in real time the hard-hitting questions. Are you that, ready for that? That's assuming people actually show up. You think they'll show up? Oh, they will. They I told will. them, I was like, you guys want to be in a casino at 8 a.m.? No, no, you don't want to be here for this there. episode. The only people here are Canadian Jay, who still hasn't gone to sleep yet. Yeah. But, Luke, uh, Friday we'll do that. Friday we'll do Wheel of Death. It's going to get wild in here, okay? What are we doing next? Is it Have You Seen This Shit Time? Yeah, I think it is. All right. Corey, you good, you good on that, Corey? All right, let's do this thing. Uh, you know what we do every Monday, but it's Wednesday now. We look back on the highs and lows, the good and bad, and in between. In combat sports and beyond over the last week, it is... Have you seen this shit? Oh, God. Luke, I want you to look into the monitor here for this. It starts off with July 4th, Nathan's Hot Dogs, Joey Chestnut, he the is, champ. What a disgusting Luke, human he broke his own record by eating 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes, Luke, to win his 14th Nathan's Championship, which, Luke, surpasses Rafael Nadal at the French Open for most individual titles in sports history. Okay, I got two words for you. Takeru Kobayashi. How about that? He, beat, he ran Kobayashi out of the sport, no, Luke, no, okay? No, the, uh, the organization ran him out of the sport. Yeah, I saw the 30 for 30. Dude, Joey Chestnut is gross. When this is all over, he's got, like, wet bread on his face. Yeah, I wouldn't make out with him ever, Luke, okay? Can, but, you, um, can, you, um, can, can you imagine number two for this man after this whole thing? Oh, oh God. <laughs> what does, who does number two work for? <laughs> uh, Luke, would you give any – look, it's disgusting. I know there's a lot of people that don't even want to watch that. I've gotten into it because I always had to work July 4th at ESPN, so we always had to watch and cover it live. Do you give any respect for the consistency and the fact that he's breaking his word? He lost one once to Matt Stoney like three years ago, and then he came back and dominated the next year. He breaks records every single year. Luke. No, dude. I think that the people who are winning at these kinds of contests, as I can hear everything our producer is saying because he kept his mic on, uh, I think they're gross people, and they should all be hit with a broomstick in the face. All right. Well, Luke, there was a new event this year at the Nathan's Hot Dogs 4th of July Challenge. The Lemonade Jug Chug. It was the inaugural event, and Luke, eating veteran Eric Badlands Booker came out and really made a name for himself. I Manich, saw can this. we go to the videotape? This, live. I this, live this is like Luke before, uh, before Room Service Diaries, before your gallbladder inflamed. Yeah, yeah. Check this out, Bro, Luke. I watched this live. I was like, wow, is this kitty guy going to give this, uh, this no. giant man a run for his money? The giant man no, on the no, left is Badlands Booker. Oh, and dude. Look at the break he took. He just took a little break there, dude, Luke. This guy, you know how like every time we go to unvaccinated populations, there's like a new strain of COVID? Yeah. This guy's going to have like a new strain of, I don't know, <laughs> diabetic shock or something. I mean, I don't know what. Even Joey Chestnut's like, that's pretty gross, bro. Like, Can we dude, get out of you need to fucking stop eating this much. <laughs> Seriously. So look, the, look at the strategy difference between the fellow on the right. This guy took two extended breaks, but then absolutely dominated. About how a, much sugar was in that, that fucking jar? I, 
<laughs> Seriously. All right. Hey, I Luke. mean, God bless him, but how much Yeah, that is an athletic feat. Luke, let's go to Showtime Boxing over the weekend. Did you see in the co-main event, unbeaten Michelle Rivera got up off the canvas you see to how he finish does it? off John Fernandez. Watch. He times his stride. Watch Look at the stride. high top watch, fade. Watch the guy who gets dropped stride, the guy on the left. Watch his stride. He times it right there. Rivera, 21-0 with 23 really? KOs, Luke. He fights at lightweight. People are talking about him as a future fun opponent for Gervonta, bro. Dude, his Could you imagine that? that? His timing on that, if you guys want to run that back, his timing on that is perfect. I was trying to figure out how he did it. He just times his stride. The guy gallops. You're supposed to gallop to close distance. It's actually a much more functional way to do it, and then you just polished him off. Look, um, he's a fun fighter. He yeah. can be vulnerable. He was dropped in this one from the Dominican Republic. Dan Rayfield thinks he looks like a young Ali, Luke, okay? Like not, in, per, not in personal a, not, appearance. Not ability-wise, just personal yeah, appearance. Yeah. He does. Yeah, he does, actually. A I mean, bit. just like Muhammad Ali, they called a him little, Cassius. A little Trinidad, too, a little Watch bit. Watch him bash Yes, very much so. Trinidad there. Uh, Luke, he's someone to look out for. Also, we didn't have the Watch, tape there. On, but one more time. Watch him time this. This is brilliant. This is the difference between, like, boxers. and uh, Some MMA fighters can do this, but a lot can't. Watch him time the steps. Here we go. One. Two, three, right there. Look oh, at that. God. He caught him in between the steps. Uh, we don't have video, but Chris Colbert in the main event beat King Tug. Called out Leo Santa Cruz after that. that. Give me that, that fight. That. How about Colbert against Gervonta down the road? Do you know that? Uh, they're far apart now, but if I, I could see it down the road. They're only yeah, five pounds road, apart. Some people have said that could look like Mayweather-Judah, which was a really tough matchup for Floyd with the hand speed early on there. Did his glove touch the mat? It did. It did. That was a knockdown, okay? Let's keep it going here, Luke. Did you see this BKFC press conference? Manich, I forgot to tell you I needed the audio of this. Crap. We don't have the audio. Britton Hart, Luke, took the microphone for the press conference that announces Hello, her fight, which is the co-main event, to Paige Van Zandt versus Rachel Ostevich, oh, July 23rd. Wait, she's the one. We can say she, all the things oh, we have the audio okay, now. We have it, the audio. We say we're going to come. That we're going to come for the yeah. boobies, but you're going to stay uh, for so the what, real what? She is, you know what? Wait, let me get this straight, because I don't pay attention to BKFC that much. The real she was in, she beat you know, Paige Van yes. in the last but fight. But instead of getting the immediate rematch, she's going to be in the co-main event against a nobody. So Sorry, respect, a nobody. While Ostevich faces PVZ in the main event. Can we hear this, Manich? That I fucking earn a place to be here, and you know what? We can say all the yeah, things we, don't we want actually to. Hear all right. Well, you know to, just we to paraphrase, she basically come. said she basically the said boobies, the fans are coming for the booby party. The you can come party. for the booby party too, or you can see the real fighters. Meaning herself. Does she herself. say booby party? Or does she say other words? Manich, what was the term she used? Her comment was, they're going to come for the booby party, but they're going to stay for the real fighters. You've come for the booby party a few times, Luke. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Luke, also, uh, this was a big week for, for good old Britton Hart. You know I follow her budding relationship with Joey Beltran on Instagram, Luke. Okay? They're getting hitched, brother. Your thoughts. Wait, who's this? Joey Beltran and Britton Hart. She's an effing feeling, Luke. Oh, really? He's going to feel that for the rest of his life, Luke. Oh, Your man. thoughts on this happy couple. Uh, you know what? Uh, first of all, they look great together. Second of all, God bless them, right? You gotta, you gotta. Hey, they know each other's lives really well, right? They're both elite <laughs> bare knuckle fighters, Luke. And you know, I've always respected Joey Beltran throughout many combat Can you imagine sports. Imagine that PTA. Uh, like, what do your mom and dad do? Oh, they fist fight other people without gloves on. Like, hey, look, I'm happy to see. Look, in the terms of in terms of combat sports, power couples. Do you think this parachutes them into the top five along with Nina and Mandy? I don't pay any attention to MMA power couples. PVC whatsoever. and Vanderford. I like Austin. He's cool. Okay. Uh, Brian Ortega and uh, Tracy Cortez or God whatever her name is. God yeah. Okay. Let's keep it going here. Luke, spinny shit time. This is some spinny shit gone right. Check out this full contact, uh, I don't know, kickboxing? What do we got? Whoa. Wow. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Tornado? 
On the chin, brother. Wow. Did you see that? They, they did that with ease, the guy in the orange right there. Is this somewhere in near the Caucasus Mountains? I hope so. Look at that. Double, the double hurricane spin right there. I don't think we're going to get a replay because of the length of this, Luke. But uh, look at this. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right, I got one more, Luke. This may be the uh, best spinning back elbow we've ever seen. I don't know what organization this is. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, that looked like me trying to ask him. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a test. This is like a, forget the testify. He's going right into the coffin, Luke. That is angles, incredible. Baby, angles. Okay. Hey, Luke, Tyson Fury visited the UFC PI in Vegas this week wearing my Versace robe. Your thoughts? Who looks better? Uh, well, Tyson Fury, I would never call him handsome. Of course, I would never call you that either. But um, I, I'd say, you know what? It's about even. It's about even. Y'all look about equally reprehensible. Luke, a lot of people were afraid about what this means for his trilogy with Deontay Wilder on July 24th yeah. because of the curse of not the not the not the ring resume uh, segment we do. What do we call that? Uh, uh, resume, review. resume review. But the curse of the Versace robe. It is four and zero right now. The curse. It is. Although if there's any guy to break that, it's him. Right. Okay. We'll see if he can break Deontay Wilder July 24th. Luke, let's go to uh, MLB fans in foul ball issues here. Luke, watch this catch by the dad. He kept the baby in the... I mixed feelings about this one. He didn't spill the beer, and he kept the baby from getting hurt, Luke. Okay, so he obviously stuck the landing, right? You got to give him credit. But he did drop his daughter to then recapture her. Is this like a Michael Jackson blanket moment over yeah, the, over the balcony? Bit, yeah, It's like, okay... Yeah, it's like, dude, what if you missed, and then you also missed your daughter? And then you spilled the beer on top of her after she gets hit with the ball. That could have been She's bad. She's going to be somebody who's going to tweet me about how COVID vaccines don't work in 15 years. But look, years, this was a high-pressure situation, and, and when, the, when the lights were the brightest, this guy stepped up. I mean, it must hurt to barehand the ball, right? You never caught a barehand? Not a home run ball in the center field bleachers. Yeah, I mean, Neither come on, I, bro. Yeah. Seriously? I mean, I've, caught, I've caught that ball before. but All right, Luke, we got one pitch. more. That's... That's foul ball catches done right. Here's done wrong. Check out this guy getting the full full frontal from the nachos here, the nacho <laughs> tray, Luke. Oh, God, that is nacho ball, dude, brother. That dude, is, uh, this is yeah. why I just don't go to ball games. Yeah, bro. I mean, what do you think about adults who bring gloves to games, Luke? Oh, I think they should be shot on sight. Okay, okay. This guy, though, wow. Luke, he's wearing that. He is wearing that processed if cheese right there. If you're above 16 years old, uh, that's the limit. Yeah. No. Fuck that. If you're 15 and under, you can bring a ball, uh, a glove to the to the ballpark. Okay. If you are older than that and you show up with a glove, um, you know, you have to be castrated. I think Jim Basquill of CBS Sports HQ has a nice rant he always gives. He says, if you're above 18 and you wear a jersey of a sports team in public, he's like, what are you doing, bro? No, he's you, wrong you, What are you, you on the team? No, you on the wrong. team? You suiting up today? What are you he's, doing, bro? He's wrong about that. He's wrong about that. All right, I'm going to bring, bring Basquill in here and get it on you. All right, Luke, let's go over to uh, Clippers owner Steve Ballmer celebrating a Clippers playoff win by grabbing the crotch of the people next to him. Dude, this is how, what I do every time I sit on a plane. <laughs> Gra <laughs> grab them I'm cakes. I'm like, this is going to be oh. a good six hours Come from on, D.C. Bro. to Las oh, Vegas. Wow. Hope you don't have COVID. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow, okay. Great. Yeah, go. he's going for it. Yeah, okay. Let's keep it going here, Luke. Drunk, drunk chicks of the week. Here's some day drinking gone wrong, Luke. Oh, boy. Oh, you know what? Let he who is without sin cast <laughs> the first stone. You know, they I've, the I've been woken up in New York from the police with my face uh, on someone's uh, mat that they used to wipe their shoes, and I was getting poked with a nightstick to get During up. the day, during daylight hours. Daylight hours, Oh, yeah. boy, okay. Yeah, I've had some rock-bottom moments. Uh, Luke Abuela has joined the party here. Check out the form on this keg stand. You know this? Dude, if any old person does this, she must have been... <laughs> 
An absolute. Are you saying this is Britain Hart in 30 years, Luke? Is this what you're saying? She must have been an absolute trollop in her younger years. Wow. Wow. All right, Luke. Everyone's uh, like, oh, she's a cool grandma. No. No, that's somebody who just uh, had a rough time in their 20s. Yeah, she has no chill. We got one more for you for the drunk chicks. This is, uh, you got to watch overhead, Luke, when you're partying this hard, okay? Oh, you dumb ass. Oh, boy. We, we chopped the bottle in half. She got her friend wet. You know, got a little on her. Mom. That's That is uh, all right. Keeping it going here, Luke. Hey, did, are they white? Did you see this? Po- Can we zoom in on here, Manish? Did you see what Francis Ngannou posted? A picture of him and Joe Rogan comparing his own height to Shaq when he stood next to Brock Lesnar, him standing next to uh, UFC's Joe Rogan. Luke. I've also stood next to Joe Rogan. He is not a tall man. He's literally five foot three. An airplane once said. No, he's like five nine or so. I mean, ten. is Ngannou in on the joke? Is he on the Reddit boards here? What is he doing here? Is there a Reddit board about Rogan's height? Yeah, there are a lot of people on the Reddit care about oh, his really? height. Yeah, a lot of lot of people, Luke. Lot Why? Of people. I don't know. Not not a tall man, but he does know what love no, is. No, he's not Luke. a tall All man, right. but uh, he is a broad man. All right, let's go to some amateur wrestling here. Let's bring out the butt stomp, Luke. What do you call this move? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Is that legal on the mat? Dude, I one time went to a legit sports massage, and it was like Shane Carwin versus Brock Lesnar, round one, ground yes, and pound. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. They, that was a Chinese lady who had elbows who beat the bejesus out of me. Okay. It she could have been from any country, Luke. You didn't have no, to no, really. No, she was Chinese. You didn't have to throw that in we there as a qualifier. She, you know, it's we just, literally uh, talked about that. Yeah, and just, Chinese. yeah, all right, let's keep it going here, Luke. Let's go to the soccer pitch. You love this stuff. Check out Gabriel Jesus. I, I saw this. With a flying kick of doom. I think it's doom. Jesus because he's from, uh, from uh, Brazil. I saw this live. Ronaldo. Ronaldo. It actually, if you look closely, it actually hits the uh, Chilean defender's shoulder. Look closely. Oh, See? boy. But Woo. he did do it with full-on spikes like a bitch. This is like Jose Aldo Marlon Vera right here, right? This is No, it was like... Fabricio Verdum, Travis Brown. Yes, it's going to look a lot like uh, Hua versus Machida, too, yes, Luke, the co-main yes, event on yes, Saturday. Let's yes. keep that going. Hey, Conor McGregor posted that trolling tweet that we talked about. Luke, is this over the line to show I can't the, quite see. Can you the inner DMs of Miss Jolie Poirier with accept message requests? Yeah, but where's the message? At the bottom. Is this a, is this a fake? Hold what on. is this? Every time I get one of these messages, someone wants to DM me, there's a, I can always read the message. There's no message here. So you think this is a fake? I'm saying I would need more information okay. to know what's going okay. on. Okay. Luke, you want to see a striking war? Uh, I guess. I got one for you right okay. here, Luke. Which which side you on? What what Hey, what, are they white? What are we doing here, Luke? What is going on, bro? This seems so out of character. Dude, there's a lot of I am convinced that across the world there's just a lot of bored whites, man. There's yeah, I mean, a lot of bored white people. Look, this is how they. This is how we broke free from England, just like this. Luke. Fair enough. There I mean, is a little bit of that too, but y'all y'all need hobbies. Yeah. You yeah. know, a book to read. Yeah. The Redcoats are coming. All right, Luke. That's great. Uh, hey, Lifting Gloves Users of the Week. Here's Mr. T oh, from Mr. 1985 in a WrestleMania 1 promotion with Hulk Hogan. Look at this, Luke. Uh, a lot of people work out with their best friend on their back, right? No, they don't. They definitely. <laughs> oh, let's switch it up, Luke. Actually, what's up with those gloves? Are you welding some shit in between sets? Hogan, an incredible power bottom, but you got to talk about the 25 inch, 24-inch pythons. I mean, they're legit, Luke, okay? Yeah, he's actually curling 135, or he was curling 135. All right. You down with Mr. T wearing the gardening gloves? Does that count in your lifting gloves Listen, debacle? Unless he's taking shit out of the oven, take those gloves off, <laughs> handsy. Clubber Lang was People a don't bitch. realize, Luke, the build, the WrestleMania one of which I was six years old and watching the A Team and watching pro wrestling, watching MTV, was so magical, Luke. Also, when Mr. T and Hulk it took Hogan over the had, world. Hold on, Mr. T, when we were kids, true or false? Mr. T and Hulk Hogan had Saturday morning cartoons. Yes. At the peak of their powers, yes. and they were can't miss episodes. Dude, they were hosting Saturday Night Live. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, yeah. it was a wild time to be alive there. All right, Luke, we have another 
lifting gloves volunteer this week. Your thoughts on uh, uh, Russian uh, magnet? Uh, People got all me about this. Vladimir like, oh, Putin. He's 68. I'm like, what does 68 have to do with? Look at those calf races. This guy. This guy. No, no, dude. There's nothing to any of these. Think he still f's? Um, God, I want to make a joke, but I don't want to get don't, fired. No, don't so get fired. Let's not joke. get fired this week. Let's not I'll get fired this. this week. Dude, look at the weight on that weight stack. You're like, oh, it's impressive that a 60-year-old man. Yeah, it's impressive that a 60-year-old man can move around. But, like, in terms of, like, weights, I'll grade him on a curve. Even then, he ain't doing shit. And also, take the gloves off, bitch. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yo, bitch. Uh, Luke, concert season is back. In fact, Bruno Mars, I believe, is playing this weekend here. Uh, check out this rager, Luke. This is this hey, Cannibal is he, Corpse? Hey, hey, BC, is he white? He's just so out of character. <laughs> oh, look, this is Cannibal Corpse's return to the uh, DC Amphitheater circuit. Wow. can we? The DC Amphitheater? What is that? Can we put this guy out of his misery, Luke? Can we tranquilize him, please, on site? You I can mean, do a lot more than you can euthanize him as far as I'm concerned. Uh, wow, I'm wow. making a joke. All right. Real. Luke, I got one more for you, and it's July 4th fireworks. Wow. So it's is, first... a, is, is NASA not going to be able to put something oh, on Oh, no. Mars? Sorry. Sorry. We got Hold, a, on. Our, Hold on. Go back to the one. Street Fight of the Week, Luke. Hold on, BC. Yeah. You think NASA can't put a rocket on Mars because of the last guy at the Cannibal Corpse concert? We're not going to miss him. No, no. I mean, come on. Let's get to it. All right, Luke. Our street fight of the week I takes place. I guess cancer won't get cured because we're going to hurt him. It takes place at a restaurant. Mitch, can we zoom in here? It takes place at an outdoor restaurant, and the staff getting involved. Mitch, you got to zoom in. There's a. you got to watch this. It's epic. He won't zoom in, would he? There he is. Okay. All right, I want you to watch the James Gallagher look like. pre-loved luxury? What the fuck is that? Oh, look at, look at the, look at the spinny, spinny shit from the busboy. Look at this. Is this Dublin? I think I've seen this one. This is Dublin. They all look like James Gallagher, Luke. Bro, in Dublin, I think all dudes know how to do spinning back kicks. And okay, like but you kicks. think it's over right here, but it's not, Luke. It continues. It's I mean, never over, bro. Never, right? It's fight. Dublin, bro. They hashtag fight forever. Shouts, shouts to the Irish. They'll fight each other, but I say this, the, the nicest people in Europe by far yes. are the Irish. Wow. Dude, you know, you if, know, I'm an eighth Irish. Luke. Dude, if you go to, I've said this before, you go to London, the Brits ain't all that nice, but the Irish in London are super friendly. I married an Irish woman, Luke, okay? Thank she's you. She's not really Irish. I mean, she's like three quarters yeah, Irish. Not really Irish. I don't know. She's a little Lithuanian like me, Luke, though, all right? She's not, though. All right, Luke, fireworks time to close it out. First, we'll hear from the Buffalo Bills fans taking in the, these full, taking these in the July 4th fireworks, Luke. I mean, these absolute You really had to, check your, you had to check the text message, No, Luke? that's all right. Dude, look at these people. Every time there's like a fireworks disaster, I'm like, is it really a disaster? Yeah. Or is for it really, the, for is this it, guy right here. Is it more like just Darwinian? This guy in his Frank Reich jersey, Luke. Uh, yes. Frank Reich about to get Spank Reich. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, I got one more for you. You want a fireworks problem? Head down to this neighborhood, Luke. What is going on here? So first we got a okay, good, good local show, right? A great local show. Uh-oh. Oh, no. 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 Fast as fuck, boy. Uh, yeah, Luke. I don't know what hood this is, but this is, uh, yeah. Wow, our staff is, uh, is all, they're all on their feet, Luke. Dude, our Maybe. staff is literally doing a podcast, talking to each other yes. behind the camera. Yes, that's great. About the show and not doing the actual show. All right, Luke, that's, that's your, uh, that's your ish of the week. Hope you enjoyed seeing that. I did okay. enjoy uh, seeing that. We don't have any, uh, you know, under the radar or whatever the fuck things for the end of the show. Can you clean it up, please, with the CBS Sorry. branding right there? I, I don't want to get fired. I'll this never week, say that F word again yes. in public or private. But just a reminder here, folks, okay? Friday, live, right here, yes. 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time, post morning weigh-ins, post actual, what do they call those? Official weigh-ins. Official weigh-ins. We will be right here on set, in person, Wheel of Death. Yes. 
in-person DMs for Donks. Come pull up a seat right here, yep. right here next to Luke yep. and ask a question. Yep. You're not going to want to miss that. One, one more time, we are at the Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar in the Park MGM. Park MGM, what you want to say, BC? Right on the strip, right next to T-Mobile, right next to, it's not far from New York, New York. Just come right over here. We're at the sports book. Come hang out. Uh, we've, we're so thankful, everybody, with the, uh, the MGM properties for putting us up this week. We will have full coverage on CBS Sports HQ, as you can see below. If you don't know, up to this point, about our 24-7 live streaming network, it's free. Go on your phone, on your laptop, on your TV, wherever you want to watch also, it. Uh, you and can you can it. catch Luke and I all week. Maybe Rashad, too, jumping in with some previews, all right? Uh, I, do you have the Paramount Plus app? Uh, I, I don't even. Yes, I do. Yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, so I opened it. I didn't realize this. You can get CBS Sports HQ through the Paramount yes. Plus app. Okay. okay. So you can get it on your phone, you can go online, but if you're using the Paramount Plus app, CBS Sports HQ is right there. You, you know what I watched on Paramount Plus uh, the other night was Almost Famous. Really good movie, Luke. It is a good uh, Let's remind everyone, we will do probably Dead Wrongs, if there's enough of them, on Friday. So email us, morningcombat at gmail.com. I know a lot of folks are like, hey, where are you guys going to be? If you have any questions about hanging out on Friday, just shoot us an email, morningcombat at gmail.com. But again, though, we're at the, we're at the Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar in the Park MGM. Wear your merch. Right on the strip. Come say hi. Grab a cold one. Pull up a chair next to us on the set and get your DM questions ready. Fully vetted, though, of course. If you Luke. want our merch that we're so-so on, you can go to morningcombat.store. Uh, but some stuff is up there. You can go check it out. I have all the good stuff in my house. Our producer's wearing some of the good stuff. But you, it is out now, morningcombat.store. And uh, like the video, subscribe. Please come hang out on Friday. The show will only be as good as your guys' participation. So if you're out here, come hang so out. There's some rumors that we may get some special guests. We might get them. We later. might, as my microphone falls off my head. Uh, so let's do that. Let's call the show today, BC. Let's see if yeah, it is else. a show. Uh, look, UFC 264, we're here. We're ready. We're bringing it. Post-show Saturday night after the fights. Don't forget to check out that. CBS Sports HQ all week we're updating you from the sports the, the uh, Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar at Park G MGM. My name is BC. Luke, take us out of here. All right. For Brian Campbell, for Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports. Thank you, CBS Sports, so much for sending us out here. I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Evil should be confronted. Hello there. Is violence justified if it confronts evil? Are you in trouble? <laughs>